After World War II, we had this like basically long period of time where the U.S. was the only superpower and really um, policed the world's waterways, set up global supply chains. We moved a lot of our manufacturing to, to China, uh, exported a lot of that labor over there. Now it's all just unraveling. That's the biggest that's the biggest uh, concern is just that unraveling is going to have a lot of bad effects. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations That Matter. I'm your host, Alex Newman. We have a special guest with us today. His name is Andrew Johnson. He's the CEO of Shelf Aware. It's a, a business out in America's heartland, and he travels uh, around the world uh, for, for business purposes and has a pretty good handle on what's going on out there. Andrew, welcome to the program. Thank you for joining us. And uh, you just got back from Southeast Asia. You have some thoughts about what's going on uh, with China and Taiwan and other issues. Um, again, welcome to the program. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Alex. I appreciate the opportunity. I, um, as you described, have kind of a unique front lines perspective. I wouldn't call myself uh, a very good expert on any one topic, but a bit of a renaissance man when it comes to some of the topics we're going to discuss. So um, sometimes I feel a bit underqualified, but I am the guy that's out there on the airplane, lots of late nights, lots of high speed trains uh, and all over the world, really for business purposes. So my, my family business, and this is part of what we should talk about today is business ownership, entrepreneurship. It's kind of all the rage in our society, but it's um, talked about a lot. And then I don't think we often talk about the negatives that come with it. So we talk about it a lot in a positive light and how you should start your own business and then really try and excel and push yourself to the limits to build the business. And then maybe you'll have something fantastic. What is it? What is it that you have? Can you pass it on to your kids? Um, it, I have a lot of concerns, really, looking at the American economic model uh, when it comes to small business ownership and entrepreneurship. And we should probably go down that path um, to some degree today. Basically, an opportunity for me to vent as a small business owner. So, well, let's talk about that. Um, you know, policymakers like to give a lot of lip service to the small business owner. And yet, uh, it seems to me, at least, like uh, there's a lot of policies that are specifically designed to hurt small business and and benefit big business, uh, make it very difficult for small businesses to compete. Um, you know, one of the things that really has disturbed me lately was the SEC's regulations where they want uh, everybody who does business with a public company to start reporting all of their emissions and all the rest of it. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, on federal policy as it relates to small business? Well, um, it's always a bad idea to have too much concentrated power from the federal government side of things. And the, the thing I've watched happen from generations, just going back to my grandfather, was just basic over-regulation and taxation uh, that's been put in place, really, I think, by the, the folks with the purse strings. And that's the big businesses, the corporations that are out there lobbying in D.C. to make these regulations. And um, a lot of the regulations are kind of tongue-in-cheek. So they're, they're sold to the American public as it's good for the environment or it's good for our country's infrastructure or it's good because we have to push back against Russia or China or it's good for our global economic or political position. But at the end of the day, they've all pretty much just hurt small businesses. Um, and so we are wildly overtaxed and overregulated. Passing this business on from my dad to my myself and my three sisters has, I mean, it, it was a mess. You have to get a whole bunch of lawyers involved. You pay a ton of taxes. You have to be really creative about your succession plan. Uh, and it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. It's very difficult to build wealth, to employ people. You take all the risks and you get very, very little of the upside. Um, so any any policies from D.C. really have just ended up in a, a disaster for for small businesses. And I 
I don't know why we're so ignorant. We just continue to listen to their lip service and, and pleasantly go along about our lives. I think, I think it's going to have to end abruptly, like in a dramatic fashion for the vast majority of American people to wake up and know that we've been, we've been had for generations now. What do you mean by end abruptly? Well, and I've told my, my dad this for a long time because he's fairly politically active here locally in Kansas City and um, he'll always have us like supporting candidates. And his big frustration has been for, for my generation. Why aren't younger people involved in politics? Um, why don't younger people run for political office? And I, I really think it's because the way our society set up, uh, younger people, and I'm in my, my late 30s, are really motivated by economic striving and a family planning system that has us busy in, in all respects and too busy really to to give any of our time or energy to the local political scene and try and drive grassroots efforts from you know your city to your community your neighborhood and and not just run for office but just pay attention uh we're completely preoccupied so it's it's kind of a a product of our our system and um be, because we're preoccupied, we don't get involved. And for us to really get involved, it has to, I think, end abruptly, meaning I don't want to sound apocalyptic, but it has to get really bad before the vast majority of my friends are going to start paying attention to the political scene, or they're going to sit down and talk with me about, hey, Andrew, tell me about being a business owner and, and what are the negative connotations that, that come with business ownership from a taxation and liability standpoint. You're always under threat of lawsuit in this society. Um, you're always walking on eggshells, basically. So paying heavy prices for business ownership while really reaping not much of the reward anymore. The rewards are getting smaller and smaller. So everybody's going to have to wake up. And I think that it's going to have to get really, really bad, worse than we want to see it get for, for the vast majority of Americans to start paying attention to something other than mainstream news narratives. So quit reading just the, the 10 things that Fox News, CNN, or BBC throw in your, your feed, and you got to dive deeper into some of these things and seek sources that aren't spotlighted or platformed by the big media, because those are all curated. You need to go find intelligent people that are somewhat off the record um, on shows like this, honestly, in conversations like this. Andrew, do you suppose uh, we're dealing here with stupidity in Washington, D.C., or do you suppose there is an agenda? You mentioned kind of big business colluding, but um, do you think this is all just a result of good intentions being misguided, or do you think there's an agenda here? No, the agenda is money and power. It, it's not stupidity. They're, they know what they're doing. They've known what they're doing for a long time. Because of our our political structure, lack of term limits, the professional politician now, and that goes back to that issue of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You can't really be a successful business owner, an entrepreneur, and start new businesses in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and do politics. You kind of have to like pick your path. And so we've created this like if you go into communications in college, you come out like maybe you could become a career politician. I want a career in public service. That's not how it should have worked. And, and we should have stopped that generations ago. But because of that, we have these political families, basically, who just like my dad taught me the O-ring business, their dads taught them the politics landscape. And they've played politics their entire lives. It's become a career. And when it became a career and there's no term limits, then you have money intercedes and we have this corrupt capitalistic system at this point, which I love capitalism. Uh, it's my preference and I'll always preach it, but it's gotten so corrupt with our political landscape that I think they're making choices to benefit the big money and they're just getting paid to do it. So you can look at like Nancy Pelosi's husband. He outperforms Warren Buffett and every other genius out there. Like, how's that possible? Well, it's just a corrupt system.
Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Folks, we're going to go to break. We'll be right back with more from Andrew Johnson, CEO of Shelf Aware. Stay tuned. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Join us in restoring this great nation. You just got back from Southeast Asia. You've got some uh, quite a bit of experience going around the world, a little bit of a global perspective. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the business climate over there, the way uh, Asia is moving, and especially the, the conflicts that are emerging? Uh, not necessarily an outright war yet, but uh, you know China and Taiwan and all the rest of it. Yeah, I, it's. Um, I'll start with a more positive note on this topic. I, I think um, things are changing quickly in the world, and, and frankly, it's deglobalizing. Uh, so the U.S. has pulled out of being the world's police and really not interested in, in protecting the world's waterways, and that's changing things quickly. And then COVID basically set upon these current trends and just expedited those already happening trends into uh, a super collapse of the world's economic system. So. It's a, that might sound doomsday, but I think it's actually presenting a great opportunity for the American um, manufacturing sector, which I'm a big part of and a big fan of, to uh, get its feet under itself again and seek some new investment from American investors in our American infrastructure and be more American-centric as a society. So um, I'll tell you, going over to Southeast Asia, I had a lot of theories. I've traveled there uh, numerous times. And then when COVID hit, I obviously had to quit traveling there because everybody shut down. But as soon as it opened back up and I could get over there without doing some sort of quarantine period, I hopped on a plane, went back to uh, Vietnam this trip and Taiwan and visited a whole bunch of factories. So that was the, the purpose of my job was to kind of vet our supply chain because we've made a lot of changes in the last couple of years to our, our little family business supply chain. And um, a couple of things that stuck out to me were the Taiwanese. I asked every Taiwanese factory owner that I visited, you know, are you concerned about China uh, getting aggressive and annexing your country? The response was pretty interesting. They they basically all thought that it was a fairly conservative, conserved, concerted effort by the American political sphere to push that narrative of uh, China imminently wanting to come take the island of Taiwan. And they didn't really think that practically it was going to happen. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that, but they really think that China's talked a lot about it, never done it, and they don't really fear it happening imminently, don't feel it happening imminently, and none of them are um, really concerned about tomorrow or the next week or the next month. And so um, you could say that they've been dealing with that threat for so long, though, for 30 years that they've kind of just brushed it off and they're never really going to be worried about it. But they gave some pretty good tangible evidence um, that the Chinese government has enough to worry about in mainland China that they don't have the resources and the wherewithal to go take over uh, the island of Taiwan. They've watched how Russia's gotten smacked down globally by uh, economic sanctions. You could do the same with China pretty easily. So they just don't see it happening, uh, which I thought was, was really interesting. Now, at the same time, some of the Taiwanese business owners are starting to take all of, a lot of their resources that they have previously had in China and move them to other parts of the world like Vietnam and Thailand. Uh, and we're working with some factories that are propping up factories right now in Thailand to try and get further away from the Chinese economic system and dependence on Chinese raw material inputs are a big part of the conversation. So um, I guess it's a bit of a, a misnomer. I don't think it's as bad as the U.S. political sphere and, and, and media narrative want us to think. Um, 
certainly the world's realigning, but I don't see China as the biggest global threat. So what do you see as the biggest global threat? Just change, just broadly speaking, change is going to be the biggest global threat. Uh, when we disrupt all of these supply chains, which is a large part of what I do is just is like grassroots frontline supply chain work, uh, you cannot realign those supply chains quickly, like I'm talking years. And so I think the biggest global threat is deglobalization. We had a current system that ran really since World War II, after we effectively you know, killed a, a big percentage of the world's population, leveled cities, reset the whole infrastructure of the world. Uh, after World War II, we had this like basically long period of time where the U.S. was the only superpower and really um, policed the world's waterways, set up global supply chains. We moved a lot of our manufacturing to, to China, uh, exported a lot of that labor over there. Now it's all just unraveling. That's the biggest, that's the biggest uh, concern is just that unraveling is going to have a lot of bad effects. Different parts of the world are going to have lots of regional wars. I think there's going to be a lot of economic pain. Uh, I think U.S dollar monetary policies probably uh, likely to be extremely stretched and stressed um, as the world realigns where it's getting its oil from and where it's getting its food from. People are going to starve. There's going to be famines. The Chinese people have kind of a bleak future. Russia's kind of painted itself into a corner. Europe's looking at a dark, dark, dark period of high energy costs. It's going to be prohibitive for Germany to make things because you know you can't make cars when you can't smelt steel. So there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering. And it's it's not really attributed to one country. I think that's naive for people to just put a target on one country's you know um, flag and say they're the bad guy. It's not that simple. It's more complex than that. And generally speaking, the change is going to be what is everybody you know is feeling. And so before we let you go, Andrew, what's your advice out there for um, everyday Americans and especially for young people who are trying to figure out where where they belong? Should I start a business? Should I go work for a big corporation? Should I get involved in politics? Uh, what are your thoughts on what young people ought to be doing and thinking about? Well, I wish I had like a better. I wish I had a better answer for this because I'm still I'm personally still struggling with how do I get more involved when I'm in politics and in in leadership in my community. Um, so I'll say, I guess, just just forget the big aspirations. You just need to really start small. So like recently, as an example, I started a, a men's community group in, in my neighborhood that meets monthly uh, and I host a fire pit and around the fire pit monthly on my patio. Dudes from my neighborhood, dudes from my school community, guys from. Uh, my work community, we meet, we have a burger or a brat and have a beer and just talk about our lives and talk about our schools and talk about our neighborhoods. And um, we've been doing that now for two and a half years. And that's grown to like four or five different fire pits across Kansas City. Um, that was like my small, small attempt to try and carve out space to, to pour back into the community, to be active in the lives of, um, of other parents as the school landscape's changing quickly and, and people are trying to reposition their children for better education um, and to push back about just providing feedback to local politicians, whether that's by going out and voting or actually becoming active in campaign, um, you know, volunteering your time for a campaign that you believe in. So uh, I would just start really small, but people have to get off the couch. And if, if I, I just told you, don't put, you know, a target on some single country, but if you had to pick an enemy in this sphere, I think the the enemy of the American man is the entertainment industry. And if I had to pick one enemy right now, it would be ESPN. If I could have every dude listening to this show to quit watching so much 
sports. So unplug from fantasy sports and ESPN and go spend more time with your family. Go spend more time uh, in your community, in your neighborhood, meeting your neighbors, creating these spaces to share these stories and to be more active. Uh, we'd be better off as a society. Fantastic. Andrew Johnson, CEO of Shelf Aware. Thank you so much for joining us today. Fascinating thoughts. All right, folks, that was Andrew Johnson. I hope you enjoyed sharing this out there. I'm Alex Newman. This is Conversations That Matter for the New American Magazine. Until next time, God bless you all. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past and endgame. The new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0.